Good morning, friends. Uh, today I want to talk to you about worship. And I want to talk about worship for a number of reasons. Uh, one, in the last couple of weeks, I have attended two extremely different styles of worship. One, a, a very um, contemporary worship service. In fact, several of them at Louisiana State Penitentiary in Angola, where I was teaching for a week. And the other, a highly liturgical worship service, as I gathered with a group of Lutheran Church Missouri Synod pastors. That's one reason. Second reason is because of my daily Bible reading, I happen to get to Psalm 95, which has a lot to say about uh, worship. And there's a third reason, and it is a Bible passage that I've often used, often quoted, often remembered from John 4.23, where Jesus said, The true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Now, when I read that passage, uh, I understand Jesus to say that there's a right way and a wrong way to go about worship. So I believe it's crucial that we learn how to do it right. Now, we've worked hard in recent years, I know I have, as a, as a pastor, to, <clears throat> to make church interesting. Um, we focused on meeting felt needs, although I'm not always sure that people feel the needs that they really need to feel. We remind people that God cares about every little detail of their lives, and we've added some media and drama, and we always look for an opportunity to make church a pleasant experience. And in some respects, church has become pretty entertaining. The result is, I'm afraid, that we're raising a generation of believers that think this is the point of it all. They think that church should make them feel good. I mean, the worship music should be geared toward their tastes and preferences. The sermon should speak to their problems. Sunday morning becomes something that I do for me. Now, I'm not about to suggest that we stop making an effort to make the worship times good or that we choose music that no one likes or preach sermons no one can relate to. I am, however, suggesting that we keep sight of the fact that the point of worship, as well as the point of church attendance, and the point of Christian service is not to feel good, but rather to please God. In fact, I, I've even talked to a friend recently who told me it's been a long time since he had had a great worship experience with God. And, and the problem was that he defined great worship as primarily an emotional experience. But i got to tell you something, friends. Worship is much more than that. It's, it's deeper than that. I mean, worship is sometimes accompanied by good feelings, and sometimes it isn't. We've got to remember that good feelings are not the point. And even though worship can be emotionally uplifting sometimes, good feelings are never the goal. They are, at best, a byproduct. So, what's involved in worship? What does it mean to worship God in spirit and truth? Well, the Bible shows us how to approach worship the right way in a way that pleases God. And so, I want us to take a look at one psalm in particular that not only teaches us what it means to worship, it invites us to get involved. So, I guess... As we look at this psalm today, we might say we're going to take a crash course in worship. In fact, I'd hope you'd have a Bible handy. You could open your Bible and turn to Psalm 95. I'm going to read these verses to you. It says, Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, and the mountain's peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed a dry land. Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. 
for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massah in the desert, where your fathers tested and tried me, though they had seen what I did. For forty years I was angry with that generation. I said, They are a people whose hearts go astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, They shall never enter my rest. Now, friends, the psalm shows us the importance of three things as we seek to worship God. And so we're going to take a look at them. And first of all, I, I want you to notice the importance of us. Five times the psalm writer said, let us. Let us sing for joy. Let us shout aloud. Let us come before him. Let us bow down. Let us kneel. Did you get that? Let us. Us. Worship is a group effort. It's a family affair. It's a community event. It's a team sport, if you will. I mean, God has called his people to come together in his name and worship together with one heart and one mind. Now, there's something about us worshiping together that especially pleases God. That's why there's such an emphasis on corporate worship in Scripture. That's why King David said, I rejoice with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Now, obviously, you can worship alone, alone. You can at home in the privacy of a prayer closet. And this is a good thing to do, but I think you need to remember that it's good also to worship with the people of God. When Christians meet together, no matter how small the numbers, we have that promise of his presence. Matthew eighteen twenty, for where two or three come together in my name, there I am with them. You see, when we come together, our primary objective should be to worship God. Now, many people come to church because they want to get their needs met or to see their friends or transact business, believe it or not, or just to have an emotional experience. These things sometimes happen at church, but the primary purpose for being here is not to benefit you or me, but that together we should give glory to God. See, it's not about you. It's not about me. It's all about Jesus. Now, here's what I've noticed over the years. When it's really all about Jesus, we're a lot less likely to nitpick the details of the service. Let me put it this way. Have you ever been out to dinner with friends and the food was less than perfect and the service was less than stellar? But it really didn't matter because the focus of the evening was not the meal but the fellowship among friends. See, that's how it should be when you gather for worship. Now, i got to tell you, doing worship planning, you want worship to go as smoothly as possible. But the real purpose of our being there is not that we pull off a slick performance. The real purpose is that we join together in lifting up the name of Jesus. Over the years, I've been in some pretty amazing worship services, and I can tell you this. None of them were great because of the PA system. None of them were great because the PowerPoint or the band or the preaching or the liturgical dance or the drama. They were great worship services because of the us factor. God's people connected to one another, worshiping him in spirit and in truth. Now, there are a lot of different ways to define worship. A lot of different ways to go about it. The one non-negotiable element in worship is us. We worship God best when we worship him together. Here's the second thing I want you to see, the importance of participation. Throughout the Bible, especially in the Psalms, we see that the act of worship is, is a physical act. The Hebrew people express worship by their posture as well as by their word. And you see it in the Psalm, it says, Let us sing for joy. Let us shout aloud. Let us bow down. Let us kneel. And you see it in other psalms as well where it says, Clap your hands, all you people. 
Uh, I will praise you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands. I mean, you even see it in David's behavior where it said that uh, he uh, danced before the Lord with all of his might. Uh, and they brought the ark of the Lord up with shouts and sounds of trumpets. So you got dancing and kneeling and lifting hands and bowing heads. See, worship includes physical participation. In his book, The Screwtape Letter, C.S. Lewis makes an interesting point. He says that it's wrong for us to think that bodily position makes no difference in one's prayer life. We are physical beings. He says that whatever you do with your body affects your soul. Now, I've noticed that when I'm, whenever I'm not spiritually submissive to the leadership of God, the physical act of kneeling helps me move in that direction. Whenever I'm not spiritually engaged in worship, the physical act of raising my hands helps me move in that direction. And this is how God made us. What you do with your body makes a difference in your attitude. After all, feelings follow physiology. When you bow your head or bend your knees or lift your hands, you're moving in the direction that your spirit has and the opportunity to follow. Now, let's be honest. We, we often don't dance, particularly not in Missouri Synod Lutheran churches. Rarely does anyone fall to the ground. It's not exactly part of many faith traditions. But my point is not that we should start doing things to draw attention to ourselves. My point is that we should be engaged in each aspect of the worship service, physically engaged, participative. Uh, take part in what we're doing together. You don't have to roll on the aisles, but just don't sit there with your arms folded during the entire service. Participate. What we do with our bodies affects our soul. I think the best example of this is music. I, I mean, the writer used the phrase, sing for joy. Do you have, you want joy in your life? Then sing. You know, joyful, joyful, we adore thee. How lovely is your dwelling place. Jesus, the very thought of you, or I could sing of your love forever. When you sing for joy, joy follows. I think you've seen this work before, haven't you? Have you ever sung a sad song and started feeling sad afterward? I'm sure everybody has. It works the same way with worship music. When you sing with your mouth, your heart has a tendency to follow. See, worship is not a spectator sport. It's not something that you watch people do. You get involved. You participate. There's the importance of us. There's the importance of participation. And third, I want you to see the importance of attitude. The attitude that you bring into worship determines more than anything else whether or not worship will take place. I've heard people say, I, I couldn't get into worship today because the band was off or the organist was playing like she was wearing mittens, or we sang all the wrong songs, or the service was too formal, and on and on. i got news for you, friends. These things are all secondary. The most important aspect of worship is the attitude you bring with you. So let's consider the kind of attitude that's conducive to worship. First of all, we come with an attitude of thanksgiving. In Psalm 95, in verse 2, it says, Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. The point is not that we're here to be blessed or that we're here just to receive something from God. The point is that we're here to bless him and give him honor. We're not here to say, give me more. We're here to say, thank you for what you've already done. See, thankfulness is where the act of worship begins. That's why David wrote those words in Psalm 100. We enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. 
Brendan Manning, who, who wrote the Ragamuffin Gospel, said, quote, the real difference in the American church is not between conservatives and liberals or fundamentalists and charismatics. The real difference is between the aware and the unaware. Those who are aware of God's magnificent love are spontaneously grateful. The more you're filled with gratitude, the more you're filled with joy, and the more of God you experience. End of quote. It starts with gratitude. Before you ask for anything more from God, start saying thank you. Thank you for everything you have and everything he's done in your life again and again. And don't be afraid to stay at the thank you stage of worship for a long time because it leads right into his presence. And second, we we come with an attitude of submission. Verses 3 to 5 from Psalm 95 talk about the greatness of God, how the mountains and the earth and the sea belong to him. And then it says, come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. See, bowing and kneeling reflect an attitude of submission. It's an attitude that says, God, you are God. You're in charge. I belong to you. I yield to your leadership in my life. You cannot worship without an attitude of submission because worship is the act of putting God in his place and putting yourself in your place. His place, he's Lord of all, worthy to be praised. Your praise, your place, you're just one of the sheep. Without him, you're nothing, and you need him every hour. Coming to him with an attitude of submission means that we are able to say, Not my will, Lord, but yours be done in everything. Third, we also come with an attitude of expectation. In verses 7 and 8, it said, Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massa in the desert. Now, the psalmist is talking about an event in the Old Testament when the people of Israel grumbled and complained because they didn't have water. They'd seen God do great things in their midst, such as parting the Red Sea. And yet when they found themselves uh, temporarily without water, instead of trusting God to provide, as he'd done so many times in the past, they blamed and accused Moses. The result was that God said in verses 10 and 11, They are a people whose hearts go astray. They shall never enter my rest. What happened in the desert? It wasn't just that they rebelled. It was that they gave up hope. They stopped trusting in God's goodness and in his willingness to provide and to take care of them. They abandoned their sense of expectation, and as a result, they missed out on the promised land. God wants us to approach him with that attitude of expectation because expectation is based on trust, and trust is the offspring of faith, and faith is the foundation of our relationship with him. Fourth, we come with an attitude of obedience. Verses 7 and 8 go on. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. You see, friends, he's calling us to obedience. Richard Foster, who's written a great book on prayer, says, Just as worship begins in holy expectancy, it ends in holy obedience. If worship does not propel us into greater obedience, it has not been worship. Now, that's the goal of worship, to get you to the point of obedience to the will of God. Worship begins with these words, thank you, and concludes with, speak, Lord, your servant listens. The paradox of worship is that the less you think about what you're getting out of it, the more you tend to get out of it. There's something emotionally satisfying about losing yourself in the adoration of God. 
back in the 1970s, we sang the song that had a phrase in it. It said, let's forget about ourselves and magnify the Lord and worship him. That's a great attitude to bring with you to worship. And today I will forget about me and what I want and what I think I need, and I will direct all my attention to giving God the honor he deserves. When you come with this attitude, it doesn't matter if the musicians play the wrong notes or the worship leader chooses the wrong songs, because you're not here to be blessed. You're here to be a blessing. You're not here to be entertained. You're here to lift up his holy name. This works best when we do it together. The us factor. It works best when we fully participate in worship, singing together, bowing our heads and even lifting our hands. And it works best when we come with an attitude of worship. Thankfulness, submission, expectation, and obedience. That's what worship is. Putting God in his place and putting me in my place. Why? Just like verse 7 says, For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Until next time, friends, see the vision, live the mission, feel the passion.